Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today, I will be talking with Pooja Trividi Parikh about treating behavioral problems after brain injury. This episode is brought to you by the Functional Neurology Center, a Minneapolis-based clinic staffed by a caring and progressive team of functional neurologists who are leaders in neurorecovery and experienced in treating complex concussion cases with dysautonomia, vertigo, dizziness, whiplash, and migraines. They are the concussion doctors you can trust for comprehensive brain health in the Midwest. They have greatly helped me and many others. You can find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Hello, I am Amy Zellmer, and you're listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury, one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal. I also recently launched the Brain Health Magazine, and you can grab your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. And you can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And don't forget to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. So I'm so excited to introduce you today to our guest. Pooja Trivedi Parikh is a licensed psychotherapist and board-certified behavior analyst with a private practice in Midtown Manhattan, where she works with adults and children to address mental health disorders such as anxiety, depression, ADHD, autism, behavioral disorders, and other challenges. She conducts thorough assessments and utilizes applied and clinical behavior analysis, cognitive behavior therapy, and acceptance and commitment therapy to treat identified deficits. She also incorporates mindfulness techniques to increase positive coping mechanisms to stress and anxiety. Her focus is to help clients make meaningful and socially significant behavioral changes to connect with their environment in a positive and productive way. She received her undergraduate degree from UCLA and her graduate degree from NYU. She has been in the field of behavior health for over 10 years. So welcome to the podcast, Pooja. I'm so happy to have you here today and what an important topic we're discussing. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me on here. I'm excited to actually talk about it because I'm very passionate about this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, I would love for you to just start with sharing how you came to work um, with the brain injury community. Sure. So, you know, I, um, as a a specialization um, in applied behavior analysis, a lot of it is just, you know, working with behavior. So I was working with a variety of um, younger kids and then adolescents and eventually adults who, when I would gather their history, you know, they would have um, 
either they were coming out because parents were asking, but it's, you know, what's going on with my child and, um, or as an adult, there were certain things. So I would find that during my evaluation, there was some trauma or injury that they had incurred, um, either during birth or later on, you know, when they were younger, um, between the years of zero to five or something later on in adulthood that um, was also present. So I sort of, as a, as accidental, where I um, learned about the TBI and um, ABI and then sort of got more interested and then focused my work to help that population further because some of the behavioral impacts are pretty severe and can impact, um, you know, an individual's access to their quality of life socially, employment-wise. And so I, I sort of felt like I had to share, you know, my expertise, my uh, whatever I could to, to address the behavior and to help uh, these individuals with making some changes that were, that were going to help them feel better and, the, and for their families to manage lives better as well. You know, and I think it's so important, you know, you, so as a therapist, you're dealing with mm-hmm. the brain, but you can't see the brain. <laughs> and right, so right. it's so critical um, to take a thorough history because like you said, you, you sometimes flush out that there's been a brain injury and, mm-hmm. you know, especially, you know, 10 plus years ago, it wasn't really addressed. Right. Like if a kid right. fell off their bike and hit their head, oh, he has a concussion. Mm-hmm. He'll be fine in a couple of weeks. And so nobody ever right. thought anything more of it. And it still happens, unfortunately. But, you know, they Absolutely. never think anything more about it. And then all of a sudden this child gets a little bit older and they're starting to struggle in school. And, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of get written off as having a learning disability, which as you know, is not the same thing as a brain injury. And yeah, they're treated absolutely. differently. And, you know, I know for myself personally, after my brain injury and being told for, you know, two and a half years, there's nothing we can do, just give it time, you know, I started to develop a lot of anxiety. And some of that came from a fear of hurting myself again. I didn't want to hit my head again. Mm -hmm. Some of it, of I think, was just simply from all the symptoms when you're constantly dizzy and off balance and running into things. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's anxiety inducing, you know. Um, so, yeah, so once you kind of dig in and find out they've had a brain injury, you know, does this kind of change how you approach um, treatment? How, do, how does that component work? Sure. So, you know, it's interesting because in young children, um, like you said, if they fell off their bike, most of the times, um, you know, the parent will be like, well, I took them to the pediatrician. They asked if they lost consciousness and we said no. And so they were like, well, then that's fine. Um, And it may have been a hard (laughs) fall and there's no immediate, you know, um, changes noticed, but it could be a year, two, three, like you said, once they get to school. And so, I usually ask more details, like, oh, well, where, what region, um, or what part of the head can you show me? Or with, you know, even um, uh, a lot of uh, trauma victims I've worked with who've sustained physical um, assaults, and, you know, I've asked uh, also about that, because then, you know, it really is, it's possible that the TBI, or which can then become an ABI, uh, is more of the primary issue, and the secondary symptoms are what we're seeing. 
um, may look like, you know, the learning challenges or autism. So in terms of the behavioral support, I do then focus on um, not only just, you know, helping the child or adult with the skills acquisitions that they need and then reduction of behaviors. But what I also focus on is uh, building in, in more mindfulness techniques to help them learn and self-regulate their own system. I do a lot more psychoeducation about the brain, uh, about how, you know, certain parts of the brain, depending on where the injury was, could affect them. the increase in um, anxiety, the avoidance of certain places, because it is traumatic as well. I mean, yeah. I also treat it like a trauma because... You know, of course, if you, if, for example, I did, you know, read your story and it was, if you slipped once like that and now again, it's going to, let's say, for example, it's snowing and of course you're going to want to avoid going out because that memory that your body remembers is still there, the pain and falling and then the, you know, the aftermath. Um, So a lot of, a lot of uh, focusing on that and helping them regain some confidence and trust in themselves and their ability to be able to do certain things again. Um, and it, and, you know, it helps because I think a lot of times um, it, with younger kids, you know, I use more age appropriate um, language. And uh, of course I wouldn't be like, well, and then your frontal lobe and then the executive functioning, but it would be more introduced through play therapy. So I do a lot more like um, techniques such as that in addition to applied behavior analysis. So it's, it's really just shaping the things that, you know, increasing the behaviors that we want to see that are socially significant and reducing the behaviors that are causing um, harm to themselves or others. And uh, so I kind of approach it in a more holistic way because it's, you know, ABA, ABA is known to kind of be like we focus very much on just what you can observe, um, which is, yes, important. Behavior has to be able to be observable and measurable, and that's the only way you can sort of um, take data and see if the intervention is actually helping um, is if, you know, the behaviors that you're trying to reduce are going down or not. But in some cases, it's important to also address um, things that maybe, you know, we don't see. And now, like, in the ABA community, there's this huge movement for acceptance and commitment therapy, which focuses on the internal experiences of individuals. And so we do recognize that, you know, depression, anxiety, feelings, thoughts are all part of behavior. Um, and so I try to come up with more of a thorough treatment plan and include a lot of collateral support. So if it's a significant other um, that's involved, families, because I think, you know, when you're the caregiver, it's you get drained, especially of young kids with a lot of severe behaviors, like head banging, um, biting, and just getting completely dysregulated as a caregiver, too. You lose your patience, and you lose that empathy because you're dealing with it. So mm-hmm. I try to also incorporate a lot of family counseling, um, you know, any kind of supportive measures, um, anything that I can do to help the family also be proactive in, in getting help for themselves and putting in places uh, putting, I'm sorry, putting supports in places that can help them too, because it is, it's just so, um, it's, there's such a dismissive attitude, especially if the fall didn't, you know, result in any kind of a major loss of consciousness or, and so a lot of times CT scans don't pick it up right away. I think now functional MRIs are picking up some things quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the eye movement, pupil size, dilation. So I think, if it's not thoroughly checked by someone who's, you know, um, very, very trained and, and, and tuned to it, 
it's it's very easily missed and then it's just late to kind of address things that could have been addressed um, sooner because then depending on you know the part of the brain that's affected it could be the part that controls speech well now if an adult who at one point had fluent speech is now no longer able to say certain words or remember what they're called or certain objects are called, then it can be incredibly frustrating. And that's when you see a lot of um, aggressive behaviors to get access to what they need because no one understands what they're asking. And Pooja, I, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I see a lot of posts um, from spouses um, mm-hmm. It tends to often be more the wife um, asking about a husband um, mm-hmm. and how they're having anger issues or, you know, he forgets to take out the garbage and stuff like that. And it's like, <laughs> sure. you know, how, how do we help that spouse, the caregiver, how do we help them, you know, understand like, this is the brain injury. And now don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. If a husband suddenly becomes verbally abusive or physically abusive, and he wasn't before, I mean, you know, it is the brain injury and, you know, yeah. I'm not saying it ever makes it okay to be abusive, but how, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is something I see come up very often. That's why I really want to kind of jump into this a little bit. Um, yeah. You know, so how do we help these spouses understand why, you know, he's getting so angry or, um, you know, we're often deemed lazy, um, but in reality, mm-hmm. you know, it's um, more that we're having empathy, am- apathy, um, you know, mm-hmm. so how, how, how can we help spouses kind of get through this rough patch? Because inevitably it does get better. It's not going to be immediate. Mm-hmm. It's going to take time, but it will get better. And how, how do we help people get through those patches? Sure, absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things uh, highly recommended would be for the spouse. And, you know, it's, it's, I just want to touch on the point that you mentioned that you hear this more often from um, wives or, or, you know, female spouses. Um, and, and I think the statistics show that the rate of TBI and ABI is like 60 to 70 percent is usually male. And about 30% of uh, TBI survivors are women. And I think it's because men just take more risks. They tend to be a little bit more physical. And um, there's, you know, which obviously increases the chance of injury or getting hurt. But um, I think, you know, joining support groups, offering that support to this, the wife, but, but helping them understand also that it's sort of like if you had a physical injury where your arm broke, right? Like this is similar. It's a brain. You can't see it. And if you had, you know, if your husband had, let's say, broken their shoulder or shattered their arm or legs and they were bed bound and couldn't do anything, and then all of a sudden, like, slowly they were regaining their, their arm strength, so now they could do a little bit more to help out again, you know, around the house or start to feel more um, like themselves. It's sort of like that. It's, it's a slow um, process. And so I try to use uh, – you know, relatable injuries, because I think we, as a culture and society, are very, very understanding of physical illnesses and physical traumas and things that, you know, we can observe. But when it's a process that you can't really observe, that you don't understand, then it becomes hard to empathize with it. So I try to use a way for them to understand, you know, it's kind of like this, or if somebody had... um, you know, cancer, you would have, you would understand that they're going to 
be sick for days if they're getting chemo or forget to do certain things. And I think that, you know, if you can shift and reframe the way that the injury is viewed, um, sometimes that does help to build a little bit more compassion. But I also say it's okay. It's okay to feel angry and upset that you're dealt this hand, but, you know, it's, it's okay to feel angry and also accept that it will get better and it's something that um, will take time. So it's all right to feel uh, the way you do about it and accept that this is the way it is right now. Um, so uh, some of that. And then I give very concrete um, um you know, interventions that they can try or strategies. So part of applied behavior analysis is using reinforcement. So reinforcement is anything that increases behavior. Um, The common misconception of negative reinforcement is that you're taking something away and you'll hear people say, oh yeah, you know, if my child does this, I take away, I do a lot of negative reinforcement, I'll take the video games away. And I'm like, no, that's that's not negative reinforcement, that's punishment. Um, Negative reinforcement is um, like taking away something that's an aversive to the person. So if we're constantly criticizing, so if a spouse is going to criticize um, the, the husband who is forgetting things, not remembering, then there's no motivation. They're not getting contact with, oh, you did this right, you know, um, the confidence to help them build it. So sometimes, you know, I, I uh, recommend strategies that involve praise the behavior that you want to see. Let your spouse know, I'm so glad you remembered to do this today. Thank you. Or it was so nice. Shape that behavior um, that you want to see. Ignore the things that, you know, that you know at some point isn't them trying to just, forget on purpose, they really just couldn't help it, you know, um, and, and using things like antecedent strategies, which would be um, putting up lists so the spouse can see, okay, today, the three things that I need to do right now is take out the garbage, um, put the dishes away, and maybe sweep the floor, or go pick up my son or daughter from school today because my wife is working late. So lists, timers, anything that can help to prevent a behavior from occurring is always the best um, strategy. And that is the goal of um, applied behavior analysis is to identify what is happening right before the behaviors and what's happening after. Because what happens before often sets the stage. So we want to change that. Um, So we, we reduce the chances of something happening. And then the consequence is what will decide whether you're going to see more of that behavior or less of it. So if you want to see your husband take that trash out more, praise him and say, wow, that was amazing, um, you know, like that. And those are kind of the strategies that I work out with the, the wives and help them implement at home, um, you know, just kind of day to day. And and what about like coping strategies? So, you know, going back to the mm-hmm. example of, of not taking out the garbage, um, it's often a case that they forgot. And, you know, I hear all the time people are labeled as noncompliant or lazy. And the reality is that they don't have the memory that they used to, right? Like, Mm, I mean, I would forget what I was doing in the middle of doing it. It was horrible. And it's really, really hard to explain to someone who hasn't been through it. Um, You know, so what are some coping strategies that you maybe help couples with or, you know, parents, Mm -hmm. children um, to help with memory or, you know, other deficits that they might be dealing with? Yeah. So, you know, depending on where um, 
where the, the injury occurred. So let's say you're, it was the frontal lobe, which is in charge of your executive functioning skills. So portion of your frontal lobe, you know, is where your emotional regulation happens, your ability to, what's called your working memory. So things that, you know, you can recall, um, oh, yes, I need to do this, I need to do that. Um, your ability to attend to tasks, to focus. So what, um, and like, yeah, like you said, you know, you, you, you're very correct in saying that people just label, oh, well, this child is just non-compliant or this person is just forgetful and lazy, doesn't want to do anything. No, they literally just, it, you know, when we use the term, it slipped your mind, it literally just erased. Like as yeah. soon as you said it, it didn't stick because that, that brain um, portion of that brain is not functioning the way it should. So what I highly recommend is, um, you know, building the ability to attend. So with young kids, for example, that would look, if they're just kind of moving around, that would look starting with helping them just sit with a highly motivated, um, something that they're willing to work for, something that they enjoy. Set a timer, if it's a sand timer, if it's, you know, uh, because then you lose a concept of time as well um, yes. in some cases. Yes. So, you know, you forget it's, it's, you feel maybe it's been five minutes, but in reality it's been like 30. And so, yeah. Or two hours. Yeah, (laughs) or two. (laughs) Absolutely. And so it's, again, helping them, you know, understand this is what two minutes is. Having the visual sand timer or setting timers on the phone um, as as, uh, reminders um, or, you know, Alexa or Google or whatever that you use. But with parents engaging with their child, for example. And then once the child can demonstrate they're able to sit with for two minutes to do something, then you increase the interval. and this whole time you just want to, you know, I tell the parents engage with them, like make them feel good, do something they enjoy, help them realize that they did this and that they were able to make it. And sometimes it's hard to sit still and focus and they want to do so many things, but they made it and they did it. So to always, you know, give them that positive reinforcement. Um, And it doesn't always mean rewards or, you know, oftentimes people say, oh, so you mean bribe my child. And I'm like, no, because bribery would mean you have to give them something before they do the behavior that you want them to. Um, Reinforcement occurs after the behavior. So if you work with your child or, you know, for spouses, um, reminding them to, so building in cues, like verbal cues, um, helping the spouse if they're forgetting, don't, you know, not to be like, oh, again, you forgot to do this, not, you know, not using reprimands, but maybe a subtle cue like, oh, time for trash. And, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to go do. So things like that, verbal, you know, cues that can help the spouse follow through. Um, Again, just lists, timers, and making sure that you don't have too much on their plate. I mean, I think, you know, you cannot at at certain, depending on the the amount of injury, expect, you know, 20 things to be taken care of. Um, It's just not possible and realistic so also to be realistic about what your expectations are of your spouse post-injury because it just isn't realistic to think that they're going to be able to work at the pace they did before Um, and I think that is really important for the um, you know either the husband or the wife in a scenario to also understand is that they need to accept that this is not the person in this moment until they can start to sort of heal is just not the way they remember them. And the person is frustrated because they don't feel like they're who they remember themselves to be. So it's, it's equally frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. And to, you know, not escalate behavior. So, for example, in a lot of um, uh, 
survivors of traumatic brain injuries, you'll see aggressive behaviors like zero to 60, a lot of verbal um, yelling, a lot of maybe, you know, aggressive physical behaviors. And a lot of it is just not engaging and escalating it. So if you start to identify like the, the chain, the pattern where you can see, okay, this is usually right before he escalates to verbally yelling. What can we do? And this is something I work very closely with the, uh, the patient as well as the uh, caregiver on identifying that we call it a behavioral chain so we can interrupt it. So teaching um, strategies like recognizing, okay, there's four things that happened right before I see this. And, you know, of course, this takes a little bit of time to identify. Um, so making sure before that fourth thing happens, how do you interrupt it at that third step? So redirecting the person to, oh, you know what, I think you meant to do this, or I think we were going to go do that, or I can see you're frustrated, let's figure it out. Um, sometimes that helps to do it. Some mindfulness and, and just, you know, for kids as well as um, the adult who's suffering from the TBI um, is some deep breathing strategies, mindfulness techniques to help them relax. There are different breathing techniques that have shown over time they really do change the way your brain is wired and they can help to regulate your emotional responses, um, you know, increase some of our very feel-good uh, neurotransmitters like serotonin, dopamine, um, all the ones that, you know, are reduced when you have a certain type of injury in your head and your brain. So it's a good way to also teach the person how to, in the moment, just practice every day something that they can do as well to regulate themselves. Um, yeah, so a lot of just, you know, shaping and calm reminders and cues. And you, you touched on something, you know, that the person is frustrated that they're not who they used to be, right? And they can't mm-hmm. do the things they used to do. And I think especially for someone who's high functioning, they can walk and talk and they probably weren't hospitalized and, you know, their, their injury was considered, you know, very minor, um, which Mm -hmm. as we know, anything that alters us is not just minor. Um, but you know, it, it is, it's so frustrating when other people can't accept what we're going through. And, and I know for me, it was really challenging to have a lot of friends, the friends I thought would be the first ones to be there. Right. They yeah. like left yeah. and wow. you know, it's, it's challenging and you know, you honestly can't explain what brain injury is like unless you've lived mm-hmm. it. Cause it's just such, it's such a surreal experience to all of a sudden not have a memory and and not be able to remember things and not have any energy you can't do more than one thing at a time for only like 20 Mm -hmm. minutes you know especially if you were a very active person um you know I was running my own business as a photographer and then all of a sudden you know I can barely even answer an email and you know I think it's really important for the family, the friends, the caregivers, the children, the spouse, whoever, you know, to really Mm -hmm. step back and try to identify, you know, think about how they're, what they're going through. If this is frustrating Mm -hmm. to you, think of how frustrating it is to the person going through it. Right. Um, Absolutely. And just having more compassion, you know, that's just kind of been Mm -hmm. my, 
underlying message through all of these years is just yeah. have compassion. And, you know, like I just said, it, it's frustrating to you, but my gosh, it's 10 times more frustrating to me. I'm right. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, and I think that's just the underlying theme is just having some compassion and, mm-hmm. you know, you definitely can't put your feet in their shoes, so to speak. Um, right. But try to, right. Try to, try to understand, gosh, you know, because I yeah. have people all the time tell me, oh, you know, the memory stuff. Oh, you're just getting older. And at the time I was like 39 <laughs> and or oh, you're, no. you're perimenopausal. And again, you know, I was 39. Oh, and yeah. I mean, like I hear all these things like, oh, I do that, too. I forget things all the time. And I'm like, OK, yeah, I used to have those little same. brain fart moments, but this is not the same at all. Like, it's totally different. Yeah. Um you know, so yeah. So Pooja, yeah, we're just about sure. out of time and I would just sure. love to ask if you have any final thoughts, um, parting words of wisdom for our listeners today. Um, no, you know, Amy, I think what you said is just so so perfect. Compassion is very important. Um, you know, try to think of the times when you were hurt, you could do something and then just imagine what that would feel like for um, the patient, and also just compassion for yourself. So if you are a survivor of a TBI, um, ABI, or any kind of, you know, brain injury, just to also learn to have some compassion for yourself and accept that there are changes and it is the reality, but to also at the same time hold compassion for who you are and how far you've come and to celebrate the small progresses yeah. that you make and the wins. Um, and it's, you know, somebody isn't able to stick by you through that, that is very telling of who they are and not mm-hmm. to make that about you and not to internalize that. Um, yes. But it is, it is tough and I hear you and I'm hoping to make some changes and differences and hopefully I'll change some lives one life at a time, help some people understand that yeah. this is more than just like a memory fart, you know, and the minimization yeah. <laughs> that a lot of people do is just like, even doctors, oh, especially if it's a younger person um, that comes in. So, you know, but I, I really, really appreciate that you, um, you know, invited me onto the show to talk about this. And I've read your story and sort of just, you know, you just, it's incredible what you've done and how far you've come. I want to to point that out to you and to congratulate you for your hard work. Thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yes, yes. It's kind of become my mission to help everybody else understand brain injury and the complexities and the nuances. And, you know, it is challenging because no two brain injuries are the same and no two will present the same. No two will recover the same. Um, So it is Mm -hmm. incredibly complex as I know you understand. (laughs) Well, Pooja, if somebody is in the New York area and would like to find you, how can they find you online? Sure. So I do have a profile on um, psychologytoday.com. Um, or, you know, they can just, um, my website is www.pujatiparikhtherapy.com. Um, they can look up my name, Pooja T. Parikh, and I will show up um, on Google. And uh, my phone number to my office is 
888-985-9778. And I would love to hear from anyone that could use some support. And I'm here, even if it's just a console to direct them in the right direction with resources. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This has been a wonderful discussion. And um, I hope that we can collaborate on other things in the future. So thank you so much for being here today, Pooja. Sounds good. Would love to do that. Bye-bye. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I really hope you enjoyed today's episode. And just a reminder, you can find all of the past episodes at facesoftbi.com. And you can subscribe on most streaming platforms. Subscribe to Faces of TBI on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, um, Spotify, all the major platforms um, we are streaming on. So be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And just a reminder, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Amy Zalmer. And be sure to join my Facebook group, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. And another big thank you to the Functional Neurology Center for being our sponsor. The concussion doctors you can trust in the Midwest, find them online at thefunctionalneurologycenter.com. Thanks again for listening, and thank you for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I will see you again in the next episode. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.